Part two of Chapter One of X Y Z: A Detective Story by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Part two of Chapter One: The Mysterious Rendezvous. The ball was to take place that very night, and the knowledge of this fact threw a different light over the letter I had read. The word mask had no longer any special significance neither the word counterfeit and yet such was the tenor of the note itself and such the exaggerated nature of its phrases i could not but feel that some plot of a reprehensible if not criminal nature was in the process of formation which as a rising young detective engaged in a mysterious and elusive search it behooved me to know and moved by this consideration i turned to a new leaf in my memorandum-book and put down in black and white the following facts thus summarily collected a mysterious family with a secret rich but with no visible means of wealth secluded with no apparent reason for the same a father who is a hermit a son who is impenetrable a daughter whose tastes are seldom gratified the strange fact of a ball being given by this family after years of reserve and non-intercourse with their neighbours the still stranger fact of its being a masquerade a style of entertainment which from its novelty and the opportunities it affords makes this departure from ordinary rules seem marked and startling the discovery of a letter appointing a rendezvous between two persons of the male sex in the grounds of the party giving this ball in which the opportunities afforded by a masquerade are to be used for forwarding some long-cherished scheme at the bottom of this i wrote the deduction some connection between one or two members of this family giving the ball and the person called to the rendezvous the entertainment being used as a blind if not as a means it was now four o'clock five hours before the time of rendezvous how should i employ the interval a glance at the livery stable hard by determined me procuring a horse i rode out on the road towards mr benson's for the purpose of reconnoitring the grounds but as i proceeded i was seized by an intense desire to penetrate into the midst of this peculiar household and judge for myself whether it was worth while to cherish any further suspicions in regard to this family but how to effect such an entrance what excuse could i give for my intrusion that would be likely to serve me on a day of such tumult and preoccupation i looked up and down the road as if for inspiration it did not come meanwhile the huge trees that surrounded the house had loomed in sight and presently the beauties of lawn and parterre began to appear beyond the high iron fence through which i could catch now and then short glimpses of hurrying forms as lanterns were hung on the trees and all things put in readiness for the evening's entertainment. Suddenly a thought struck me. If Mr. Benson was the man they said, he was not engaged in any of these arrangements. Mr. Benson was a hermit. Now, what could I say that would interest a hermit? I wrecked my brains. A single idea came. It was daring in its nature, but what of that? The gate must be passed, mr benson must be seen or so my adventurous curiosity decided and to do it something must be ventured 
Taking out my card, which was simply inscribed with my name, I wrote on it, Business, private and immediate, and assuming my most gentlemanly and inoffensive manner, rode calmly through the gate to the front of the house. If I had been on foot, I doubt if I would have been allowed to pass by the servant lounging about in that region, but the horse carried me through in more senses than one, and almost before I realized it, I found myself pausing before the portico, in full view of a dozen or more busy men and boys. Imitating the manner of Mr. Benson at the post-office, I jumped from my horse and threw the bridle to the boy nearest me. Instantly, and before I could take a step, a servant issued from the open door, and with an expression of anxiety somewhat surprising under the circumstances, took his stand before me in a way to hinder my advance. "'Mr. Benson does not receive visitors to-day,' said he. "'I am not a visitor,' replied I. "'I have business with Mr. Benson,' and I handed him my card, which he looked at with a doubtful expression. "'Mr. Benson's commands are not to be disobeyed,' persisted the man. "'My master sees no one to-day.' "'But this is an exceptional case,' I urged, my curiosity rising at this unexpected opposition. "'My business is important and concerns him. He cannot refuse to see me.' The servant shook his head with what appeared to me to be an unnecessary expression of alarm, but nevertheless retreated a step, allowing me to enter. "'I will call Mr. Hartley,' cried he. But that was just what I did not wish. It was Benson the father I had come to see, and I was not to be baffled in this way. "'Mr. Hartley won't do,' said I, in my lowest but most determined accents. If Mr. Benson is not ill, I must beg to be admitted to his presence. And stepping inside the small reception room at my right, I sat down on the first chair I came to. The man stood for a moment, confounded at my pertinacity, then with a last scrutinizing look, that took in every detail of my person and apparel, drew slowly off, shaking his head and murmuring to himself. Meanwhile, the mingled splendor and elegance of my surroundings were slowly making their impression upon me. The hall by which I had entered was spaciously and imposing. The room in which I sat, a model of beauty in design and finish. I was allowing myself the luxury of studying its pictures and numerous works of art, when the sound of voices reached my ear from the next room. A man and woman were conversing there in smothered tones, but my senses are very acute, and I had no difficulty in overhearing what was said. "'Oh, what an exciting day this has been!' cried the female voice. "'I have wanted to ask you a dozen times what you think of it all. Will it succeed this time? Has he the nerve to embrace his opportunity, or, what is more, the tact to make one? Failure now would be fatal. Father—' "'Hush!' broke in the other voice, in a masculine tone of repressed intensity. "'Do not forget that success depends on your prudence. One whisper of what you are about, and the whole scheme is destroyed.' "'I will be careful. Only, do you think that all is going well, and as we planned it?' "'It will not be my fault if it does not,' was the reply, uttered with an accent so sinister I was conscious of a violent surprise when, in the next instant— the other, with a burst of affectionate fervour, cried in an ardent tone, 
Oh, how good you are, and what a comfort you are to me. I was just pondering over the incongruity thus presented when the servant returned with my card. Mr. Benson wishes to know the nature of your business, said he, in a voice I was uncomfortably conscious must penetrate to the next room and awake its inmates to a knowledge of my proximity. Let me have the card, said I, and taking it, I added to my words the simple phrase, on behalf of the constable of the town, remembering I had heard the postmaster say this position was held by his brother. There, said I, carry that back to your master. The servant took the card, glanced down at the words I had written, started and hastily drew back. You had better come, said he, leading the way into the hall. I was only too glad to comply. In fact, escape from that room seemed imperative. But, just as I was crossing the threshold, a sudden, quick cry, half joyful, half fearful, rose behind me, and, turning, I met the eyes of a young lady peering upon me from a lifted portiere, with an expression of mingled terror and longing that would have astonished me greatly if it had not instantly disappeared at the first sight of my face. "'Pardon me,' she exclaimed, drawing back with an embarrassed movement into the room from which she had emerged. But soon recovering herself, she stepped hastily forward, and, ignoring me, said to the servant at my side, "'Jonas, who is this gentleman, and where are you taking him?' With a bow, Jonas replied, "'He comes on business, miss, and Mr. Benson consents to see him.' "'But I thought my father had expressly commanded that no one was to be allowed to enter the library to-day,' she exclaimed, but in a musing tone that asked for no response." and hastily, as we passed down the hall, I could not escape the uneasy sense that her eager eyes were following us as we went. Too much emotion for so small a matter, and a strange desire on the part of every one to keep Mr. Benson from being intruded upon to-day, was my mental comment. And I was scarcely surprised when upon our arrival at the library door we found it locked. However, a knock, followed by a few whispered words on the part of the servants, served to arouse the hermit within, and with a quick turn of the key the door flew back on its hinges, and the master of the house stood before me. It was a moment to be remembered, first because the picture presented to my eyes was of a marked and impressive character, and secondly because something in the expression of the gentleman before me showed that he had received the shock at my introduction, which was not to be expected after the pains which had been taken to prepare his mind for my visit. He was a tall, remarkable-looking man, with a head already whitened, and a form which, if not bowed, had only retained its upright carriage by means of the indomitable will that betrayed itself in his eyes. Seen against the rich background of the stained-glass window that adorned one end of the apartment, his stern, furrowed face and eagerly repellent aspect imprinted itself upon me like a silhouette, while the strong emotion I could not but detect in his bearing lent to the whole a poetic finish that made it a living picture which, as I have said, I have never been able to forget. "'You have come from the constable of the town,' said he, in a firm, hard tone, impressive as his look. May I ask for what purpose? Looking around, I saw the servant had disappeared. Sir, said I, gathering up my courage, as I became convinced that in this case 
I had a thoroughly honest man to deal with. You are going to give a fancy ball tonight. Such an event is a novelty in these parts, and arouses much curiosity. Some of the men about town have even been heard to threaten to leap the fences and steal a look at your company, whether you will or not. Mr. White wants to know whether you need any assistance in keeping the ground clear of all but your legitimate guests. If so, he is ready to supply whatever force you may need. Mr. White is very kind, returned Mr. Benson, in a voice which, despite his willpower, showed that his agitation had in some unaccountable way been increased by my communication. I had not thought of any such contingency, he murmured, moving over to a window and looking out. An invasion of rowdies would not be agreeable. They might even find their way into the house. He passed and cast a sudden look at me. Who are you? he abruptly asked. The question took me by surprise, but I answered bravely, if not calmly. I am a man who sometimes assists Mr. White in the performance of his duties, and in case you need it, will be the one to render you assistance to-night. A line to Mr. White, if you doubt me. A wave of his meagre hand stopped me. Do you think you could keep out of my house to-night any one I did not wish to enter? he asked. I should at least like to try. A ticket is given to every invited guest, but if men are going to climb the fences, tickets will amount to but little. I will see that the fences are guarded, cried I, gratified at the prospect of being allowed upon the scene of action. I can hinder anyone from coming in that way, if— Here I paused, conscious of something, I could hardly say what, that bade me be cautious and weigh my words well. If you desire it, and will give me the authority to act for you, I added in a somewhat more indifferent tone. I do desire it, he replied shortly, moving over to the table and taking up a card. Here is a ticket that will ensure you entrance into the grounds. The rest you will manage without scandal. I do not want any disturbance, but if you see anyone hanging about the house, or peering into the windows, or attempting to enter in any way except through the front door, you are to arrest them, no matter who they are. I have an especial reason for desiring my wishes attended to in this regard, he went on, not noticing the preoccupation that had seized me, and will pay well if on the morrow I will find that everything has gone off according to my desires. Money is a powerful incentive to duty, I rejoined, with marked emphasis, directing a sly glance at the mirror opposite, in whose depths I had but a moment before been startled by the sudden apparition of the pale and strongly agitated face of young Mr. Benson, who was peering from a doorway half hidden by a screen at our back. I will be on hand to-night, and, with what I meant to be a cynical look, I made my bow and disappeared from the room. End of Part 2 of Chapter 1